blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Hey, Ken! You are someone we had not heard of before, but you are someone that we absolutely love. We love you, Ken. (laughs) Ken, we love you. We love you, too. (laughs) Well, thank you. And uh, you tell us that by, uh, you are a... Patron. This is a patron-requested episode. Not even a patron-requested episode. This is a patron-involved, recorded, talking-with-us episode because you, sir, are a golden girl. And we fucking love that. <laughs> yeah, I fancy myself a Blanche. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could tell. Um, but yeah, you, you've joined us at our top level, which means you get an episode all, of your, all to your own and... You get to join us for it, which is awesome because you get to choose the topics. They might not be as nostalgic for us, but, you know, hopefully we get to hear about your stories, you know, or anything about you um, and learn a little bit about you and, you know, our patrons in general by doing this episode. And uh, so I guess start us off with just, just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah. Started with you guys after the dynamic dual crossover uh, with Batman, the animated series and X-Men, and then kind of just delved back into your guys' library. As I discussed before, the uh, Explorers was was definitely one of the ones that hit me the hardest, and I think that was one of your guys' first episodes. Uh, so then I just kind of listened from there on. 32 years old, I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, went all the way through high school and college, married in 2008, was a construction worker working on the strip, and then all of a sudden, all the money dried up and all the construction <laughs> projects stopped. So at that point, uh, the last day of my honeymoon, got a phone call. Hey, don't come into work the following day. Oh, yeah. Nice $4,000 payday to uh, Disney World. I wish I could have gotten that one back, but it's all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, joined up with the U.S. Army three days later. And oh, wow. And been doing that ever since. Ten years, a couple of countries, uh, some in the sandbox, and then uh, Germany. Most recently came back to the States, did my master's degree, and then I am in Leavenworth, Kansas right now for the right reason i'm not just in a jail cell so so i uh, picked these two there was really no linking of them but i raiders of the lost ark is what started me in the pop culture sci-fi adventure series uh my dad sat me down probably when i was like six or seven said okay let's let's go ahead and pop this in a little vhs little Harrison Ford action, and uh, I was hooked. The hat, the whip, the awesomeness that is Indiana Jones, and then it just kind of went off from there. Discovered Star Wars late, right thereafter with Harrison Ford. I know it was done in the mm-hmm. incorrect order for some people, but Indiana Jones will always be my favorite Harrison Ford. <laughs> and then Dexter's Lab. There's really nothing else you need to say about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of moved on from Rugrats as a younger kid and then went into Dexter's Lab. And yeah, it, just, it was one of those shows that you, you watch from beginning to end. Uh, it was a blast revisiting it for this podcast because I completely forgot uh, Dial M for Monkey. Uh, Let's save it. <laughs> save it for the segment. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Ken. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be talking about all that stuff. Raiders of the Lost Ark, which came out in 1981. We're going to be talking Dexter's Lab uh, that ran from the late 
90s to the early 2000s. Very excited about that stuff because, you know, I definitely, you know, John and I, I know we've seen, we owned the VHSs of the three indie movies as well. And there's only three. The fourth one never happened. And the fifth <laughs> one is definitely, definitely not going to happen. Um, but we definitely had the same VHS. I remember we had the box on our last crusade was so like mangled because I think we watched it, you know, slipping it in and out of that box all the time. It was a very mangled, just like the sleeve for that VHS was terrible. So we don't do phrasing here? Yeah, no, <laughs> you can. You can absolutely add phrasing. I'm a big Archer fan, so I appreciate uh, that. Um, and, and yes, you can say whatever you want. If you want to say fuck and shit and piss Kids. and whatever, I don't know. What are the, what are the seven <laughs> deadly words? But Or the seven, I don't want to say all of them, but I can't remember. Nice, George Carlin. That was awesome. All right, so uh, 1981, John. I don't know if that's a year that we've actually talked about yet. I don't think we have. Yeah. There's some uh, interesting stuff that happened that year. Well, tell us all about it. All right, so the movie came out on June 12th of 1981. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week was Betty Davis Eyes by Ken Car- Kim Carnes. That's a fantastic song. Uh, that one is, it's got, there's like a sultriness to it. You know, I, and you go back and you look at Betty Davis's eyes, they're not that attractive. <laughs> I don't, no, not so much. It's funny, I can't, I can't hear this song without thinking of Eddie Murphy's buckwheat version from Saturday Night Live. It died, dead a diver, then on the died it died. Oh, wow. Can you do us a little rendition of that, John? No. You can cut cut to it if you want. I will. Uh, 1981 was also the year that MTV started. Very famously, the very first video they showed was Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. The second video was Pat Benatar's You Better Run. Okay. A good, good bit of trivia that people don't know. I can get behind those. Uh, that was also the year that we had our first female Supreme Court justice, which was Sandra Day O'Connor. Nice. And this was... It's just, I don't know, this is something I didn't realize until I just read this, so I'm going to throw this in as a fact. The whole uh, practice of presidents returning the salute uh, to members of the military didn't start until 1981. That's interesting. I mean, because the president is the leader of the military. Yeah. I guess maybe he just wasn't saluting back because he's the top He's the top guy. There's a lot to it with the honorific that is Commander-in-Chief. Oh. I think it's pretty interesting that I'm, I'm the one getting to speak on this. But uh, So the the practice of it when, it when he was actually the general of the U.S. Army uh, or the military, uh, it made sense because he mm-hmm. would salute back. But as it kind of went on, uh, the presidents less and less were active members or had been separated for so long that they needed a distinction between the two. It wasn't until the 1980s when there was a really a requirement to kind of bring back the, the luster of the, the military that the presidents started saluting back. 
Okay. Oh, uh, okay. From thanks to the, the those commie bastards that we had to make sure we looked good. Uh, is that it? Yeah, I'm not going to uh, say yes or no, but yes, that's probably true. I'll say it. <laughs> All right, that was 1981. Okay, well, that sounds like a damn good year. I guess uh, I really don't have anything else. Um, Anybody else from Rogue's Gallery? No, not at all. Nope. Then fuck it. Let's, let's get into Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981. This was directed by Steven Spielberg. This was the only movie he ever directed. He's a terrible guy. I don't even know what else he's done. God awful. God awful. Obviously a joke. I'm not even going to talk about his other other credits. He's amazing. Um, he was actually, he did that one part in Blues Brothers. He's known for a cameo in Blues Brothers, right. and that's it. <laughs> in part, this movie was written and produced by George Lucas of Star Wars fame, um, and then ruining Star Wars fame. So interesting thing with uh, George Lucas on that. I was doing a little bit of research. Research. The initial uh, script for this was handwritten. Oh, uh, wow. It was done because Steven Spielberg and George Lucas were vacationing in Hawaii. Steven Spielberg said, hey, I want to you know, direct a James Bond. And George Lucas says, why? Why don't we do this? <laughs> uh, and they were talking more about the Heston and the, you know, those old serials. Mm-hmm. And that's where all that came from. I thought it was really cool that it was handwritten yeah. by George Lucas first. That is quite cool originally cast in this role, and we'll talk about who actually was cast. Obviously, it's Harrison Ford. He wasn't the original person that they were going to bring on as Indiana Jones. Uh, It was actually supposed to be Tom Selleck who was going to be Indiana. But CBS, apparently, you know, for him being in, what was it? uh, Magnum P.I. Magnum P.I., yeah. They kind of, like, ended up shooting it down and not letting him get out of a contract or something to go shoot or something like that. And that's why he was he wasn't in it. But I want to say I think Tom Selleck would have been an awesome Indiana Jones, not as good and iconic as Harrison Ford, probably. But I don't know. I think I think he would have been a kick-ass choice. I think the initial treatment, the initial scene, and I know we'll get into it, but I feel like it was shot the way it was so that they could have very easily put Tom Selleck into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know he did a parody of uh, Indiana Jones like a couple of years later, and I think it was really because. They cited the scheduling conflict for Magnum P.I. as the reason why they couldn't do mm-hmm. it. But he didn't even start shooting until well after Principal had started with Indiana or with Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I think there was a little bit of uh, animosity there, I feel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Tom Selleck would have been awesome, but I couldn't, c- cannot imagine anybody else but Harrison Ford now. Yeah, it's hard to. Music uh, in this film was done by John Williams. from many Steven Spielberg and other fantastic films. Um, I will say I had the absolute honor of seeing him in concert every year. He does a couple concerts at the Hollywood Bowl in L.A., and I made sure to go and see him before you know I moved, uh, moved away from Los Angeles. And it was a fantastic concert. Um, the only issue is that he's got so much music you know, across all of film that you want him to play everything, and he can't because he's got so damn much and so many right. hits that... You miss a couple of them, and you're like, damn it, he 
he didn't play that, you know, one song from E.T. or the <laughs> Harry Potter theme or some shit, but it's just like, it, it, it's just awesome. He's just absolutely fantastic. Having to tap in, you know, the seconds and thirds of the orchestra just to get through because, you know, their bow strings are breaking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going wild. It, it was quite uh, the concert. This film was edited by Michael Kahn, uh, and you know I like to mention the editors when I can, and this guy has done just absolute tons of stuff, and he has kind of been Spielberg's go-to guy after Raiders is the first one, I think, project that they worked on, but he's done Jurassic Park, all of the Indiana Jones movies, and I mean all of them, even that other one that shall not be named, <laughs> but just tons of stuff. Uh, and the film has won, or it won four different Academy Awards, including art direction, sound, visual effects, and editing. Pretty impressive. Thankfully, the only one that was nominated. Oh, was it really? The only only Indiana Jones installment that was nominated for an Academy Award, and I think it's fitting. Yeah, going back and just thinking about it, it is probably the only one that is Oscar-worthy. So this film stars, obviously, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Uh, Karen Allen plays Marion, and you would know Karen Allen. We talked about her before on our review of The Sandlot. Mm -hmm. She played... Uh, the mother in that film. She was also in Scrooged, and Animal House was her very first film. Paul Freeman plays Belloc. He's done tons of stuff, but I about flipped my shit when I realized he played Ivan Ooze in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. <laughs> wow. That, he's, like, that, that just, you know, his second greatest role. Yes, his yeah. <laughs> second greatest role ever is Ivan Ooze. Um, it's freaking hilarious there's a whole bunch of memes when uh when the x-men apocalypse movie came out making fun of apocalypse looking just like ivan ooze and, and it really did <laughs> i think I'm we can safely lie. say that that was on the downhill for that x-men franchise you know just started to oh, trend yeah. downwards yes yeah yeah hardcore uh, it's, it's unfortunate because, yeah, those first two were enjoyable. Not the best of any of the X-Men movies, but they were definitely enjoyable films to me. And then Apocalypse was meh, and then Dark Phoenix was meh, or even more meh. I still haven't seen it. <laughs> Most meh. Yeah. See, fair enough. Neither it, have I. It made a lot of people not even give a shit to, <laughs> to see it. Ronald Lacey plays Tot. He is the kind of very creepy, evil German guy. Um, we've talked about him before in our Red Sonia review. He played Eichel, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. sidekick. Very, also very creepy. He's just a good creepy sidekick dude. He definitely channels uh, sort of a Peter Peter Laurie vibe in this oh, I movie. I get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally see that. And then John Reese Davies plays Salah, and you all should know him if you're listening to this podcast. I assume you are nerds like <laughs> us. You know him as Gimli, and also the voice of Treebeard in the Lord of the Rings films. Interesting enough, not the first pick on that role. Uh, actually, it was Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> just, just think about uh, that. No, go back I, and I put Danny DeVito not, in there. I do not want to think about that. <laughs> He, he has a good choice to not go with DeVito <laughs> on that one. Uh, and then and then we had Delholm, Denholm Elliott, to who played Brody. Um, you, We all kind of remember him. Maybe he got a little bit more comical. Well, not a little bit. Way more comical in the Last Crusade film. Mm -hmm. um, he was definitely the uh, comic relief on that one. And then you might also remember him as Coleman, the butler in Trading Places. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Uh, and then very short... Uh, and actually, we'll kind of talk about this pretty quickly, but Alfred Molina, a fantastic actor, he played uh, Satipo. I, I'm sure I fucked that up. Satipo. <laughs> uh, what, whatever. Satipo. Uh, the, the, the kind of 
guy who fucks over Indiana right at the very beginning. Um, but Alfred Molina, famously, um, he played Doc Ock in the Spider-Man 2 film, the one that starred the 97-year-old Tobey Maguire, um, <laughs> if you all remember. Like, oldest Spider-Man in the history. Molina's first credited role was this one. This was his first credited ah, role. Well, that's awesome. He started, it started off a fantastic career. Yeah. Yes. And then a bit of trivia that I think very famously, I think a lot of people probably know this, Indiana Jones, the character's name Indiana, came from George Lucas's dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Lucas had a dog named Indiana. It was like a Malamute, um, like Alaskan Malamute, big, big kind of hairy dog, those things are. And um, that's where he got the name Indiana Jones from. And they actually wrote that into the story or into the character in Last Crusade where they say you were... Your do- the dog's name was Indiana. That's what that was, that was my Sean Connery right there. But uh, now I feel like I keep good. one up in the trivia. But uh, I was also reading. Oh, do it! <laughs> that uh, George Lucas originally wanted to call the character Indiana Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did hear that. Steven Spielberg was like, uh, you know, I feel like we could do better. So I, I think there was a little bit of convincing going on there. But at least we got Jones in the end. Yeah. yeah, there was apparently another character in pop culture, I can't remember what it was, named Nevada Smith, and Spielberg th- thought it was a little too close with Indiana Smith, so then they, they threw out the Jones name instead, and, and that stuck. Thankfully. Which just, it flows better. It just definitely flows better. All right, so we open, and keep keep doing the trivia. You came prepared, Ken. We appreciate that. <laughs> well, I feel like we're we're missing one major casting for mm. this. Uh, Frank uh, uh, Welker? is the monkey. I, how the fuck did I miss that? I, I don't know, because you're the one that always hits it. So I, was, I was waiting. I was waiting. I, I almost check for, you know, everything, every cartoon that we've ever talked about, and we'll talk about him again later. Yep. Uh, so you know what? That is, man, he's our fucking tie. It's not really, it's really not about you at all. Yeah, right. It's about what you love. This is go. a Frank Welker podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> we get him again later. That's fantastic. I didn't even check, but that makes so much sense. He does monkey noises like crazy. Like, I was like, does doesn't he play the monkey in the other in the cartoon? He does. <laughs> yes. This is this is a specific monkey Frank Wilker <laughs> episode. This is great. This is making me even happier. <laughs> oh, so uh, all right. Well, we start the uh, film. We open in South America in 1936. Indy and a small group are kind of walking through the jungle. Uh, it's just kind of very dangerous. We see these kind of you know sculptures slash monoliths uh, that are scaring people. Poison darts are everywhere, etc. We call those indicators of fate. Indica- yes, <laughs> absolutely. It's a. Uh, Foreshadowing there in, in the film world is what you say. Absolutely. At one point, we see that uh, this, this guy is trying to, like, stop Indy from going any further. He pulls a gun, and we get the badass whip, and we get one of a, just a fantastic, maybe one of the greatest single-shot introductions of a character where, you know, this entire time they're walking, you don't see Indy's face at all. They're just kind of walking through the jungle. You see the kind of people behind him. He does the whip, he disarms the guy, and then he walks from the shadow into the light, and he just looks amazing. I'm dripping with with sexuality <laughs> of, of Harrison Ford at this point, because he, the guy looks damn good when he does that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, in more recent times, you have Captain America, you know, you saw in the trailer when he steps out um, in Endgame from the shadows into the light. It's very kind of similar-esque to that. Um, I think this kind of helped. You know, this wasn't the first that did it, but like this was a this is a great cinematic shot. And the cinematography in this film is absolutely fantastic. Greatest introduction of one of the greatest characters ever. Agreed. Absolutely. Indy and Setipo, 
Alfred Molina. Can anyone help me how to pronounce sure his name? I'm pretty sure. I think it's Satipo. I think you were right the first time. Satipo. Satipo. Not Satipo. Satipo. <laughs> you're right. Let's get hung up on this. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, that's what we do. I'm going to get. I freak myself out about something stupid, and then we talk about it for 20 minutes, and then we finally get back to the movie. <laughs> and that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. Satipo. <laughs> so, uh, they walk into this cave. Uh, and it's full of cobwebs and spiders. The one thing that semi-bothered me here, these were obviously tarantulas. Tarantulas, I don't think, make webs like that, uh, you know, all overhanging. They're, they're more of like ground webs that try and get catch things. Did that bother anyone else, or am I just, just another you. stupid thing? I'm pretty sure it was just you. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm there. Okay. Okay, thank you. It was just like, wait a minute, those are definitely tarantulas. It's, it's cinematic, you know? You're not going to get a lot of cool guy spiders all over the ground, and you're like, okay, we'll just walk over them. No, no, we have to have <laughs> giant webs everywhere. Yeah. That production yes. staff guy that had to put all those up, give that guy the Oscar. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what I mean, specifically, they won art direction, yeah. and that all of that design uh, was fantastic, and it works really, really well. So again, another piece of interesting trivia. Uh, so the spiders, when they first put them on set, would not move. They could not get them to move until they introduced a female tarantula. So that was kind of interesting that, you know, just the scene of, you know, Melina turning around and there's just a ton of tarantulas and mm-hmm. at six or seven years old going well that doesn't look great at all uh, so <laughs> yeah. that might have started a little bit of arachnophobia another great movie, yeah but we'll, we'll go into that a, later a, f- <laughs> a fantastic film absolutely no I, I read that same bit of trivia i thought it was it was pretty interesting because when they first did it they would use all male tarantulas and it was there was really nothing going on there's no <laughs> movement it didn't look creepy and then you know you had to get a little female in the mix and then they then they kind of went ape shit might have been the introduction of marvin gay too but we're not sure <laughs> that would man, that would be a good cut. <laughs> with only with that piece of trivia, you get the uh, and then they go wild. So uh, throughout this kind of cave area, Indy is diffusing traps along the way, uh, and then he gets to this fantastic golden little idol statue, and we get an absolute iconic, just very heavily parodied scene where he's got his bag of sand and he's trying to kind of, you know, weigh it out, make sure he can, you know, disarm this other booby trap or like, you know, just not have it set off. And he swaps it, moves it on. Uh, he pulls off the idol. The booby trap is set off anyway. But uh, things are falling apart. You know, he has to run and he doesn't give a shit about darts are flying. I was going to say, that was ridiculous. the one thing that bumped me was the incredible care that he had to muster to get to the idol. But as soon as shit starts going down, whatever, I'm just going to sprint like Flojo, and it's fine. We'll just, we'll roll. Yeah, I mean, those darts are coming out fast, but he's like, nah, fuck it. I'm just going to, like, you know, uh, flash right through him, or yeah, Flojo right through him, um, and it worked. That's just kind of how... I'm going to mention it later. I, I, I'll i just go ahead and mention it now. You have to do a lot of suspension of disbelief for this kind of movie. Almost definitely. Ultimately, Indiana Jones is a superhero. You know, he's doing stupid shit that should not be real and is not real. And so this is the kind of movie you just have to sit back and, you know, unplug your brain a little bit. You know, this is absolutely one that is um, all about escapism, I would say. Like, you're just you're just going in to be entertained, and it's going to do its job. That's my thought. 
<laughs> it's a good thought. That was that was great. It's a good thought. Yeah, I mean, that was I was saving it for the end, but like we're kind of talking about how ridiculous he was already, so I'm like, fuck it, I'll just say it now. So his he's heavily encased in plot armor. I think they call it. Yeah. Now. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, it's it's one of those. It's it's the movie you go to where you know it, it doesn't matter what what kind of mood you're in, you're gonna go into it and know you're gonna feel that that serial vibe that you know watching Dick Tracy back in the day or right. you know mm-hmm. re- watching you know Flash Gordon. It doesn't really matter. You know it's not real, but it's 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 great to just get away from the mundane and see something fantastic that's rooted you know you could you could think of you know the archaeologists back in the day doing stuff like this but obviously not quite to this point but uh it's it's what makes you know the young boy and you don't you know want to go to some terrible jungle in south america and ah i I can do this it's fine yeah exactly (laughs) i mean no doubt that you know archaeology classes spiked right after this movie you know i mean same kind of thing where i think paleontology went way up after Jurassic Park, you know, later in the 90s, this ca- had to have the same kind of effect. And just just like um, recruitment into the Navy went way up after Top Gun. Yeah. Oh, that totally makes sense. Uh, all right. So, uh, you know, with his escape, we just get some some fantastic scenes. We get um, Satipo. Uh-huh. I got that one right. Uh, Satipo. <laughs> a good little scene where they have to kind of jump over this pit. And he, you know, he's like, you know, throw me the idol uh, and I'll send you back the whip, whatever. And then he's he fucks over Indy, and he doesn't give him back the whip. He steals the idol. He heads out. God damn it, Satipo, you <laughs> bastard. But Indy somehow makes the jump, kind of. Uh, he, <laughs> he's able to grab a vine. He gets his way back up. You know, when he goes through the, the other wall or whatever, uh, he sees Satipo dead. Um, he was, you know, killed by some kind of booby trap in the other next room. And that other next room, we get just the other next massive iconic thing from this film like so many iconic things from this film are happening within these first 10 minutes right you know you're, you're getting already some whip stuff you know him having his hat on um the the whole idol gr- exchange and then now we have the boulder the big fucking boulder that's going to chase him out the boulder the boulder you don't even have to everybody's seen this everybody there's so many parodies of it and everybody knows this but you know he narrowly escapes uh and just as he escapes he is surrounded by belloc and a whole bunch of natives pointing poisoned darts at him i want to um intercept or interject something in here um there's sort of a sort of a rumor that this entire scene was stolen out of a comic book from the 50s. It was actually an Uncle Scrooge comic book. Right. I, I'd read that. I actually looked, so I did. I dug deeper into it and I saw the sort of the page in the panel. There's clear there's some inspiration there and George Lucas has sort of unofficially confirmed that it was inspired by it because there's a scene where the big old boys are, have to do like the idol exchange and then there's a, a boulder, but it, the the rumors were like it was taken like shot for shot. It does not. It's not shot for shot. Okay. It's not even that. It, it's like maybe like one page of the comic, and so you can see where the in maybe the inspiration came from. But it obviously it wasn't like outright stolen. John's debunking this over here. We appreciate it. I'd say myth busted. Yes, myth <laughs> busted. <Ha-ha. laughs> so the boulder sound, I thought was kind of cool they the sound direction tried to dick like a billion ways of rolling a mm-hmm. boulder down a hill to get that sound and it wasn't until the drive home when he heard the sound of the rear tire of a honda civic going down <laughs> this hill that he was like oh that sounds great 
And so that's, that's one of those what introduced me to that sound direction of, of actually going mm. in and, and looking at how these you know, awesome sounds were made, you know, the vacuum through a scuba respirator for Darth Vader. Uh, it, it's one of those iconic, simple is always better than complicated for a lot of these things. And it, it's incredible to see how it, how it works. It is. Uh, sound designers are, it's it's a massive art form. And I mean, a good reason why they won uh, the Oscar here is exactly those kind of things. You have to do so much interesting work and, and finding something that would fit a sound that normally wouldn't. Like, yeah, exactly. As you put it, a car driving down shouldn't be the sound of a boulder, but they just add a whole bunch of things to it. it it's uh, very particularly interesting. I remember when I was working on uh, different, you know, as assistant editor on different films that no one should watch because they're not any good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but my editor would tell me because I would have to like you know put in some like quick temporary sound um, while we're editing just to kind of help the the edit sound a little bit better or whatnot and. He said, you know, when whenever you're doing slow motion machine guns, you don't take the sound of machine guns and slow it down. It doesn't sound correct. What you what <laughs> what we did and what we put in was we actually Hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't just fly by. Are you telling me that the actual sound of the real thing is not correct? If you slow it down, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It's not as good. So instead, <laughs> we would take the sound of uh you know, from from our sound libraries of door slams douche 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 that is the sound of like slow motion uh gunshots and it it just works a whole bunch better okay so just random but like just interesting things about sound design trick the brain yeah exactly uh all right we're only 10 minutes into the movie let's keep going (laughs) we're never getting it done um uh, so belloc steals the idol or takes the idol from him uh and you know indy has to run away and the natives chase him and we get another fantastic iconic shot here specifically the cinematography in the shot and just i mean harrison ford's just his acting and just screaming for at this guy to start the engine of the plane <laughs> while a, a whole massive line of the native people are chasing behind him uh it's it's a fantastic little scene but plot armor he doesn't get hit by any of the thousands of arrows and darts coming at him and he makes it to the plane uh and you know we get a very random little scene of the guy flying the plane having a snake in the other seat, and and we just it just basically just sets up that Indy is afraid of snakes. Mm, I wonder if we're gonna see that again. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it was it just felt like it was a little forced. Right. You know, when I go back and rewatch it, it was just like, whoa, why the fuck does this guy have a random snake? It just it just feels like it's forced to show us that Indy doesn't like snakes. The uh, tail number on that plane again, another piece of interesting <laughs> trivia. And I'm I'm an aviation guy, so I love to uh. see tail numbers and like catalog stuff. I'm that crazy guy that sits at the end <laughs> of a runway and just you know writes down tail numbers to see uh but the tail number for that plane was obcpo uh, a little <laughs> bit of a callback to star wars so you know obi-wan and then yeah. 3po so i thought it was pretty awesome that is cool. i had no idea that tail numbers were a thing like it's something right. that's a thing for people to look around and just be like oh i'm, I'm a tail number guy and i'm like the fuck does that mean? <laughs> well after 9 11 a little bit different <laughs> fair enough fair enough but yeah it's just eh, yeah, something interesting all right I do want to say, you know, th- this was right about 10 minutes into the movie. That is one hell of a start of a movie right there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we find out that Indiana is a professor, and we see all of these females are just obviously smitten with him. They're drawn to him. He's a good-looking dude. He is looking really nice. Um, one creepy student who's taking things a little too far <laughs> wrote, love you, on her eyelids. <laughs> when Did you she say creepy, but, you know, back in those days. 
<laughs> it's still creepy, damn it. <laughs> it's still, yeah. I mean, uh, and we'll find out a little bit later. Just Harrison Ford's character, or Indiana Jones in general, is, I don't know. I think he abused his... Uh, his good looks to take to take advantage of women a little bit too ob- obvious. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at With all. the Marion character. No, Absolutely. no, it's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, professor's fucking students. Not a big deal to Ken. <laughs> all right. Well, I was an assistant teacher once, so you know you, you got to oh. get what you got to get. Sometimes you know there's there's a line. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. You got to get what you can get. I wouldn't turn John, you're the only teacher here. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to go into that. Just now. <laughs> this is being recorded. <laughs> Nothing yeah, happened. This is... <laughs> All right. Um, let's uh, – we, we meet uh, Brody very briefly. He apparently kind of runs the museum that ends up buying a lot of Indy's stuff and whatnot that, you know, Indy takes for safety. Uh, then we meet these federal agent types, and they're kind of telling us all about the Nazis are searching for something. Uh, we find out about the staff of Raw, and that can open up the Well of Souls, which has the Ark of the Covenant into it, or it doesn't open up. If you find out where that is, whatever. Um, and, you know, re- ultimately, really what we're getting here is the MacGuffin. We're getting the thing that we are searching for, uh, which is the Ark of the Covenant. Did you recognize one of those... Uh federal types i did not it's porkins yes oh that's awesome yes the, the heftier guy he was like the, one of the main guys there oh, okay very cool and i love the great book of everything that uh andy was bringing around uh oh we're talking about the ark here let me pull out this giant old book <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah got everything. there's also one one more thing i want to add in right here so uh this is another sound design thing whenever pretty much whenever indy is seriously talking about the ark you will often hear wind blowing and this is the first time you hear it because you hear it outside the window and then you'll hear it again when they find out that the the staff that they're using later is too big mm-hmm. because they didn't get the right side. Like every time they start like really seriously talking about the arc, wind is blowing. So it's sort of like a little a little trigger thing that they introduced into the movie. Yeah, I remember that part in, in Egypt, but yeah, thinking back on it, it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, so the Ark of the Covenant, what it is, thanks to Brody's big-ass book of all things ever, <laughs> we find out that it's basically where the Hebrews held the Ten Commandments. Um, I heard it was actually 15 commandments, and then five of them got broken. All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15... Oi. Ten! Ten commandments for all to obey! Sorry, I don't need... Sorry, uh, like Mel, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks humor. I, I don't know. I was, I was, thank you. I appreciate the pity <laughs> laugh on that one. Um, and then uh, he shows us, like, this image of the Ark, and apparently it's just, like, a big-ass weapon. You know, it can level mountains. Um, it's just... That's why uh, Hitler, the Fuhrer, wants to go for it. Uh, so these federal agents are going to pay Indy to go beat the Nazis to it uh, and try and get that first. Uh, we also hear just kind of a murmur about this Marion person. Um, Indy gets ready gets ready to go, and on the plane, we kind of just see this creepy guy reading Life magazine, uh, and then we kind of get, in my opinion, the graphic is a very iconic graphic of Indy, his, of the plane, and just on a map, you're seeing the red line moving from place to place. And I'm sure tons of other movies have done it, but for some reason, whenever I see it, I think of Indiana Jones. I'm convinced like real life it. is now 
kind of hitting that because pretty much every time you're on a plane that's got the screen in front of you and you can set it for where yeah. the plane is every time that <laughs> happens i'm thinking the indiana jones theme so yeah yep so we are in nepal and we see this woman playing a drinking game against some large dude she wins she's obviously kind of setting her up as a badass or a drunk or both <laughs> um that is <laughs> that is marion alcoholism is cool kids yeah exactly <laughs> it's gonna make you a better person and more badass and more fun uh, and a stronger character even though i don't think marion's all that much of a strong character but we'll talk about that later indy enters and they kind of have a moment of semi-sexual tension or whatnot and then she slugs him in the face so what are you doing here in nepal i need one of the pieces your father collected and i do appreciate that so from what i can discern from what they're talking about she was a student of his, and I think he took advantage of her and his infatuation with her. Um, and then, you know, she kind of ended up going over to this other guy, Ravenwood. I almost said Ravenclaw. Uh, <laughs> Ravenwood. and <laughs> Different John Williams movie. Di- yeah. Um, actually, shit. In my notes, I, I wrote down Ravenclaw. <laughs> yeah. So the, to kind of go back on the, uh, the professor-student mm-hmm. relationship, I took it as because he was a student of her father that during his time as a student of her father's, that's when it kind of went off. So I don't think he was quite a professor yet, but definitely older. Maybe a TA. Yeah. I'm going with a TA. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Uh, there was, I, I think, I mean, he. she's obviously upset, obviously. Obviously upset, obviously. Whatever, I'm sorry. <laughs> she's upset with their relationship and how he ended it. I think there was some point he took advantage of it. Uh, she was kind of young, dumb, in love with him, and they ended things on a bad way. And I'm going to lend to believe that maybe he was a TA then, because, yeah, he's probably not all that old, but there was something. <laughs> the guy's creepy, damn it, okay? He's fucking creepy. Stop making Indiana Jones weird. <laughs> <laughs> but we also learned that Ravenwood, uh, the other gentleman that, that she apparently left Indy for or whatever it was, uh, he's dead because uh, he's kind of been like the big knowledge base for the staff of Raw and the Ark itself and whatnot. Well, that was his her dad. Oh, that was her dad? Yeah, that was what her father. I think it was her husband. Okay, well, then I fucked that up. In my head, I had things completely wrong. <laughs> I thought, I don't know. See, that's her dad. Okay, then then I don't know where, where I don't know why I thought it was like someone that she left Indy for. What gave me that idea? John, tell me. <laughs> I don't, you're an idiot? I don't know. <laughs> I'm an idiot. All right. It doesn't matter. Who gives a fuck? He's dead. He doesn't matter anymore. Died in an avalanche in Nepal. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she has the uh, the staff head around her neck. You know, she she they did find it. Uh, right then, after Indy leaves, in walks uh, the creepy guy from the plane. His name is Tot. T-O-H-T. Interesting name. Doesn't It's not a very German-sounding name to me. No, but he was definitely wearing all the German colors back then. You know, creepy, yes. dark, oh, squat yeah. guy. Yeah, very SS <laughs> uh, creepy dude. But uh, he apparently wants the staff head as well, and so he's getting ready to torture her for it, and that's when Indy comes back in. He saves the day. There's a whole big gunfight. Did y'all notice that one of the actors had these weird, like, prosthetic things on his face to kind of give him a more Asian look? No, no. I'm the only one that noticed that. I didn't that. notice. It was bad, honestly, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I honestly, it, it made me stop. I had to stop, go back, and be like, "What the fuck did they put on this dude's face?" It just looked really re- weird um, because it was definitely prosthetic. But anyway, that made you sad. Pouring that, whiskey on yes. the bar, on the bar to burn it made me sad. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> was it like the Was it like the really big guy? Uh, no, it was the it was a dude who got he got shot in the head. Okay, yeah, I can't remember. I don't think he was really big. That wasn't the last guy, was it? No, it wasn't the last dude. He died pretty early. I one think. of the one of the guys in that scene, I believe it's that scene, who's 
I think he's like the bigger bigger one. It was actually an actor named Pat Roach. He's also the guy that Indy fights in the uh, outside the plane. Oh, we've talked about Pat Roach before because Pat Roach was in Red Sonia, and he was also uh, the general in the movie Willow. The guy with like the monkey skull. Yeah. So big, yeah, big dude. He played Brightag in Red Sonia. Yeah, he's Brightag. Okay, so I mean, maybe it was him, and they're just trying to make him look different. That could, that could be it. Yeah, nameless minion recycling. Yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. There's whole gunfight going on. I do want to say there's no way Indy had that many bullets in his gun. He just kind of kept firing. <laughs> well, that was the interesting thing is that his gun kept switching too. He you started with like this 1911 <laughs> Browning and then went to his revolver and then back to the 1911 and mm-hmm. then it ended with a Mauser. Uh, a <laughs> little, little bit of uh, continuity error, but uh, I liked it. it. Was you know like Grand Theft Auto? He just kept pulling it out of somewhere <laughs> yeah. in his back. It's fine. That's, uh, exactly. His endless backpack. That's right. He just keeps, <laughs> keeps doing it. So the bad guy, Tot, uh, sees the staff head, and he grabs it at one point, and it burns his hand. And like any other normal person, you know, when you touch it with your fingertips, you back off immediately. But he grabs the whole thing and holds on to it while it's burning his hand, and then let's go. And that it. had to be the inspiration for Joe Pesci in Home Alone. It, it, <laughs> oh, yeah. it had to have been the inspiration <laughs> for that. Agree. I would agree with that. Absolutely. So he ends up leaving and Marion and Indy get out of the burning bar. They kind of decide she decides to partner up with him because she wants her money back. Apparently uh, that burned down with the bar. Um, We go to Cairo and we meet Salah. Uh, We learn about the Nazis that they're close to um, the Well of Souls uh, at the market. They bring Salah's monkey with them, but apparently uh, the monkey uh, just abruptly leaves them, and it's a fucking spy monkey. It's a Nazi monkey. (laughs) It's a Nazi monkey. It even gives a little fucking heil. (laughs) I'm sorry. I kind of forgot about the little heil and just the little (laughs) fucking spy monkey. I just literally thought to myself, are you you fucking kidding me? That was so goddamn cheesy. It was really bad. The production, evidently, it took like 55 tries. And it wasn't until they put a grape on the end of a like fishing line that they finally got him to do it. Uh, yeah. And I think after take 43, we should have just abandoned it and continued on. Yes. I mean, it wasn't that important. It was. I mean, it was important enough. <laughs> it was not. No, they did not need to have a little hiling monkey. A little, it, was, it was just bad. The whole monkey... You know what? The monkey got what it deserved, honestly. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but... PETA is not listening to this episode. (laughs) (laughs) The monkey apparently tells its one-eyed handler guy, uh, you know, that the Indy's there and whatnot. And so the Nazis send people out to the streets to fight him. I want to say that, you know, this fight in the streets and most of the fights in this film, the coordination of that fight, I think, has much to be desired. They didn't do a great job with some of these fights. You see some stuff in the background, like when Indy's fighting, and I see Marion just kind of like bonking a guy, like, you know, very gingerly in the background and <laughs> other stuff like that, where it's like, that, no, this is just, this is poor fighting. You see better fighting at the uh, Disney Expo when they do the scene yeah. over and over and over again. Yeah, I, yes. I, I agree. At one point, Marion beats up a guy with a frying pan, but she doesn't take his fucking knife with her afterwards she keeps the frying pan that kind of shit pisses me off um, <laughs> let's see and then she hides in a basket and she's about to not be found out but guess what that fucking spy monkey uh, sees yeah. that she's in the basket and kind of gives her up 
and uh, tells the other people that she's there. So then they they take her. Marion, to me, she's a little bit, she's treated a little too much like a dumb side character chick. I, I know she has elements of being a quote-unquote strong female, or at least she, like, she tries to have that, but I don't think they wrote her very well. I think they, honestly, she's there and she was just you know had to be saved a lot and i think she was honestly a pretty weak female character yeah, i think karen allen probably tried to bo- boost that just the writing because i agree with you she you know she's a hell of an actress so she probably did with what she had and i think that's probably why she came back in the not to be spoken of sequel yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I hope we'll get to it. I mean, John, I could see us doing it just so we can get to Last Crusade because I know we both love Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, or if you want to just skip to Last Crusade, we can do that too. Oh, you can't skip Temple. Temple's great. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to call out at one point earlier in this film, Indy's like, I don't believe in magic in this hoodoo voodoo shit. And then Temple comes out and it's a prequel that happened one year before where he saw a guy fucking pull a dude's heart from from someone else's chest and he saw tons of magical shit. So how the fuck does Indy not believe in magic? Because science. <laughs> because, <laughs> because bullshit. But anyway, here in this uh, street scene is where we get the maybe other than the boulder scene or even the idol scene. This is one of the most iconic shots and scenes in the entire movie where the guy comes up with a sword and he's ready to kind of go and do a whole big fight with Indy and Indy just pulls out his gun and shoots the dude. And there's a bit of famous trivia with it and to say that, I'll give it to Ken because you you probably already know this trivia anyway, so let us know. I believe it was uh, everybody had gotten food poisoning like really, really bad. Uh, so I think he was working with like 103 degree fever during this scene yep. and uh, when they were like, okay, we're going to do the fight scene. He's like, well, why don't I just shoot the bastard? <laughs> Steven Spielberg's like, all right, we'll try it. And then, you know, rest is history. Yeah. That is definitely one of those, you know, and then when you see Temple and they try to do that again, and then mm-hmm. I feel like they got the comeuppance at when he actually had to do the fight scene. Yeah. Definitely the most iconic grounding part of this movie of everybody in yes. the world would go, well, if you have a gun, why are you going to mess around with the giant sword, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, classic shot classic scene it's it's fantastic so indie then uh you know as we're just kind of going through here we got the chase stuff uh going on he ends up shooting down this truck that you know he thought he believes marion was in and it blows up the entire truck so he thinks marion is dead at this point we kind of think so too I, I i don't remember there's not a scene of them moving her no or anything like that like we're we're kind of supposed to led to believe that she was in that truck too yeah yeah we get no explanation for that later but Eh. We cut to Indy drinking. With the monkey. He's drinking with the fucking monkey, the spy monkey. <laughs> what the fuck? He should snap that little fucker's neck right now. Granted, I don't think he... He doesn't speak monkey. He doesn't speak... He doesn't know that it's a spy. But yeah, he's drinking with the monkey. Uh, some guys come in and they gra- they take Indy. He's taken to Belloc. And we get a great shot. I just want to talk about the cinematography here of while Indy is kind of drunk sitting at the table with Belloc, he is in the foreground in soft focus, almost really in the shadow, looking profile, not even looking at Belloc, looking across the screen. Belloc is looking at Indy in the light in sharp focus. It works really, really well. It ties in with the darkness that Andy is kind of feeling. He just, you know, he killed Marion and he's drunk. And But it just, the shot is absolutely beautifully composed. And I just kind of wanted to bring that up. While Indy is about to do something stupid, 
Salah's children perfectly come in at the right time and they kind of surround him and they pull him out. The guy with the eye patch, the trainer of that evil Nazi monkey, uh, <laughs> follows them and poisons dates that Salah and Indy are about to eat. And, you know, while they're trying to figure out what to do and what their next steps are, I have always loved the line when Salah notices the monkey that had eaten the dates is uh, dead. He just turns to Indy and he stops and he catches the date that Indy is like, he throws his, he's trying to do the whole catch in your mouth thing. I don't know why. (laughs) He could have, should have just eaten it. He's trying to impress Salah or something, but Salah grabs it and he just turns to Indy and says, bad dates. The introduction to puns for my entire life. Yes. Oh, and everything yes. else afterwards comes from Salah and bad dates. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and luckily, you know, you get a good pun. You get the death of the Nazi monkey, which I'm very happy with at this point. So anti-monkey. Got it, Adam. He got it. He finally, <laughs> I hate the monkey. He's a, I mean, you, you want him to be a nice, cool monkey, but then he... He's a Nazi. (laughs) You can't like a Nazi monkey, all right? You can't. At this point is kind of when they're reading the uh, staff head and they realize that, you know, they need to have the the different height for the staff and the Nazis were wrong and they're digging in the wrong place, all that kind of stuff. So Indy and Salah disguise themselves and go into the the Nazis' digging area and they go into the map room or Indy goes into the map room and he places the staff... Uh, in the correct placement where it's supposed to be, all that kind of shit, and the sun kind of moves across the room, and it reveals, you know, in this big bright light of with where the laser. well of souls is. <laughs> yeah, with a big laser light. I mean, honestly, that's not how like that crystal and the sun is going to work. It's just going to keep moving, and it's not going to just stop in that one spot. Like the sun doesn't do that. But <laughs> I, I'm, you know, let it go. Not, let not it go, Elsa. Here. Let it go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love the scale of the city. Like, the care and craftsmanship, the guy that does the trains, the model trains, he's the one that made that city. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous how amazingly done it was. Yeah. And pristine. You know, meticulous. Yes. You know, how everything was in there. It looked interesting. I wonder if they were kind of some of the same models that they might have used for even for some of the shooting. I'm sure. I wouldn't be surprised. As they're leaving, just happenstance... Uh, Indy walks into a tent and Marion is there. Uh, he's not searching for her because he thinks she's dead. And he's like, oh, whoa, you're alive. And he's excited and he kisses her. But then he does a very non-heroic thing, in my opinion. Uh, he keeps her tied up because he really wants to get the Ark. And he he feels if he lets her loose, then they'll start looking for him and shit like that. I think it's worth, worth the risk to get her out of there and save her life and not get tortured as opposed to, oh, fuck it, I want to get this arc before other people do. So, I don't know. I guess it's the maybe it was, what, the save one life or save a million I, I kind, kind of, of feel like that's where he was at with it. Um, yeah. I think at this point in the film, he, he, he's realizing that even though he doesn't believe in the Hocus Pocus, that the Nazis really do. So, it's more important to get it from the Nazis. I think he's kind of transcended the wanting to sell it to the museum at this point. I, I can give him that. I'll give him that. He's not a total terrible person. <laughs> You're not going to ruin Indiana Jones for me, Adam. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to. But I do think Indiana is that good of a person that he could have gotten her loose and saved her and then also gotten the Ark first. I don't think he needed to Well, do then that, you but. wouldn't get the snake and all that. You know, the well yeah, of souls will get no, to it. But, but, you know, I mean, if it were me, I'd just stolen it from the truck. But that's, you know, you know, that's just me. Yeah, <laughs> stolen it from the truck. Or 
do what it really didn't matter because if he even if the Nazis did get it first, the same shit would have happened. They would have gone and tested it, and then they would have all fucking died, and then he could have walked in and gotten it then. Like Indiana is honestly useless. Yeah, I was I was waiting for the the, the our, our our closing comments for that, but yeah, there was a lot of the the articles that you know if you take the greatest films you know and you remove mm-hmm. the main character would the film still continue the way it was you know i think harry potter was another one or if you mm-hmm. remove the main character everything still happens the way it should yeah it's just it's just an interesting commentary on the film yes and if we want to talk more about it at the end i just kind of again kind of jump the gun on that one <laughs> whatever i'm excited to ruin indiana jones how about that never um, not never re- not really i'm not going to <laughs> So we see that Tot is there and, you know, he's brought to Cairo to torture Marion to try and get more information from her because the Nazis aren't happy with how fast uh, Belloc is, you know, finding things or not finding things. I honestly want the clothes hanger that the man brings with him for his yes. leather jacket. That is probably the coolest clothes hanger I've ever seen. You're right. That's an interest. You know, I'm going to take off this giant heavy leather jacket, which I'm in Egypt. You know, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's how you know he's a bad guy. And <laughs> yeah. take out this thing that looks like a blackjack and then turn it into a clothes hanger. <laughs> yeah. If for, your first, yeah, exactly. It looks like blackjack and then it's like, oh, shit, it's this nunchucks. And it's, oh, shit, it's a, it's a triple, uh, you know, bow staff thing. And then he's like, oh, fuck, no, it's a clothes hanger. That, it was honestly, it was pretty pimp. So the, it was pretty pimp. My question is, was that something that already existed and they noticed looked like a blackjack? Mm. Or is that something that they requested and somebody had to build? Hmm. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> Thanks. All right, we'll get, we'll get back to the movie. <laughs> Fuck you, Adam. Uh, well, you know what? If you you have Google, goddammit, you can figure it out for yourself. Uh, <laughs> we've got Indy. Indy and his team of people are digging where the Well of Souls really is, and we get an absolutely gorgeous shot. I just want to talk about the cinematography, um, which I, I imagine the cinematography was nominated for an Academy Award, but it didn't win, and it probably... I mean, maybe it should. I don't know. Actually, I didn't look up what actually won that year. Um, but there's just that gorgeous silhouette shot of kind of as the sun is going down. And he's kind of – he puts his hat back on while everybody's digging. It's an absolutely just stunning silhouette. And obviously, it's got to be far enough away that the costume didn't matter. You know, disguise didn't matter anymore. Yeah. That he can, mm-hmm. you know, put his garb back on and everything's good. Which, re- in reality, when you see how far away it is – it's not that far. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so kind of interesting why he felt uh, safe enough for it, but whatever. So Raiders, I'm sorry, Raiders won Best Sound Mixing, Best Visual Effects, Production Design, and Film Editing. Yes. And it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Musical Score, and Director, and Cinematography, not for... Okay. So, so we, got, we got nominated for Cinematography. Yeah. But it, it lost to a movie I've never heard of. It's called Reds. Oh, oh! I actually I own Reds. Okay, uh, I've, I haven't. I've never seen that. No, interesting. I, I I need to rewatch it and see <laughs> if it is better shot. But uh, all right, so they open up uh, the Well of Souls. They uh, look down into it. I, great line by Salah saying, "Indy, why does the floor move?" <laughs> it's great. It's just chock full of snakes, uh, which is kind of interesting. You know that thing has been closed for thousands of years, and I guess it has enough rats and stuff to be able to house that many snakes or whatever i just call it call it bullshit on that one <laughs> am i the only one <laughs> just me no no you're fine okay plot armor. uh they yeah plot armor <laughs> the snakes are somehow alive and you know they're all well and good but uh we get also a weird scene intercut here and i don't like it it's 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 where belloc goes to marion and he 
weirdly has her put on this dress. He has like this now fetish of for Marion. He's trying to he's trying to get some, uh, and so he gives her this dress. Uh, it's kind of intercut with uh, Indy going into the Viper Pit. We get just an absolute fantastic shot of the Viper uh, of one of the Cobras kind of going up and poised to strike him, and you're seeing it from like the face of where of like. Um, kind of you're seeing Indy's face like he's on the ground but the cobra is right in front of him like almost taking up as much of his face and and just to back up another great solo line and you know after Mm -hmm. bad dates was was this one where he you know he's like oh it's asps egyptian asps very poisonous and he looks at Indy and says asps very dangerous you go first (laughs) yes (laughs) he does He, he is good comic relief uh, I definitely appreciate what he brings to the film. He kind of adds, adds a little levity yeah. to it. He's a, he's a good side character. Uh, but Indy's down there, and uh, then Salah also goes down. I do want to say they another <laughs> another bit of bullshit. I'm just calling <laughs> the two of them lift this massive stone like chest top. Like it, it is huge. Like they, there's no way that thing doesn't weigh just a, a literal fuck ton of weight <laughs> and the two of them lift it off and kind of throw it throw it off of them is that like more than five cubits is a fuck ton i'm, I'm yes, just trying to literal gauge fuck it. ton is uh, uh yeah about about 5.5 5, uh, cubits <laughs> is my guess i don't know <laughs> i speak in dumb words you know you're using science and shit you're smart i like to just say magic hoodoo it's fine yeah uh we also see back at the tent with Marion, Tot enters, uh, and he's just being very, very intimidating, very whatnot. Um, I did, in some of my research that I saw, I found out that Belloc, or the, the actors who played Belloc and Marion, basically improvised this scene of, you know, him get, giving her the dress and her kind of like, you know, grabbing the knife to try and uh, get an escape and the whole kind of throwback to the drinking. That was something that they kind of came up with to help get the idea because either Spielberg or somebody wanted Marion to be in a more attractive, flirty type of yeah. clothing when she came into the pit later, uh, which is ridiculous. And, you know, thinking about it now, it's just like, God damn it. She should have just stayed in her clothes. No, I don't, you know, need to have the upskirt shot that we get later. Uh, just because <laughs> to have, be in a, a flirty dress with her uh, because that's what Spielberg wanted some eye candy. I think it was actually Kathleen Kennedy. I believe that's, that's the, he was the production assistant with Steven Spielberg that kind of broached the idea. And it was more like we were discussing earlier to kind of give her the, that, that strong female, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to use what I have to do this, uh, to, to, to kind of oh, okay. gauge everything back to, uh, I, I can get out of this myself. Gotcha. It didn't end up working. No, it did not. <laughs> it did not because Tot came in and you're not going to fuck with him. <laughs> that guy's intense. Indy and Salah pull out the arc and Belloc discovers, he finally sees that people are digging across the way. And so he goes over there and steals their crate just as they're about to leave. And he ends up leaving Indy in there. He literally throws in Marion. Like, (laughs) she luckily somehow caught the Anubis statue uh, and was able to just kind of like hang on and then make her way down or she kind of fell down. But they were just going to shove her in there and they close close up and seal them in. Uh, And then we have to have them escape and to get out, Indy ends up climbing up that big Anubis statue and 
kind of shoving it, breaking it, falling it, uh, having it go against the wall to open up a way out. All this stuff on their way out, they see these whole bunch of skeletons and there's like a whole scary thing. They had a good sound design there where every time she sees the skeleton, it's kind of screaming at her. Yeah. The Well of Souls, one other thing, the, uh, so one of those uh, you have to pause it to see, and I think it's like two frames. They sh- they have a C-3PO and R2-D2 uh, as hieroglyphs near the Anubis oh. statue. Yes, I ha- I remember seeing that from pictures yeah. at some point. I mean, maybe like a cracked article or something yeah. like that has called that out. Uh, it is it's a that's a fantastic little Easter egg that they put in the film for it. After they get out, Indiana has to fight some Nazis, steal their plane. This is the scene that John you mentioned earlier that that big guy, mm-hmm. and it, there's just a, it's a whole ridiculous kind of fight scene uh, where that big Nazi guy gets ends up getting cut up by a propeller bunch of shit explodes belloc and the nazis end up taking the ark in a truck and there's a whole chase scene going on he he hops on a horse that he just finds out of nowhere and then, it's a random horse and it's then you have a random horse uh you know he he pops into a tent he randomly sees marion pops into another tent randomly sees a horse you know he's gonna he's he gets fucking plot armor like crazy let's see he catches up to the trucks on a horse and we get this just big action scene lots of car crashing gun fighting i'm not going to go st- through step by step but uh the the only thing that i thought was interesting and in particular iconic was when indy was ended up being dragged by the truck he kind of gets his whip under it and he had to kind of kept being dragged which would scrape the living hell out of him yeah i think they said harrison ford had like four or five bruised ribs and then like contusions all over him because he wanted to do the stunt himself wow i did I, i would just assume yeah it's mostly a stunt guy but that's that props to him for that yeah because yeah that looked pretty damn dangerous but indy uh, gets to the truck and he gets away marion and indy leave cairo via a boat and there's some kind of sexual tension with them of course now on this other boat honestly almost unnecessary why they even had this whole boat scene because the nazis find them and they take the ark and they take marion uh, they could have honestly just taken them earlier i wonder why they added that scene uh so that you can have the greatest line from harrison ford <laughs> ever it's not the years it's the mileage not the man i knew 10 years ago it's not the years honey. it's the mileage uh, I, I will not say that that was part of my wedding vows but it was there <laughs> <laughs> which apparently uh harrison uh ad-libbed yeah that all right that's okay so that's why they had the entire boat thing <laughs> so the nazis found them in like a u-boat and they, they take mary and they take the ark and indy was able to escape and he got onto the top of their submarine now here is where i yeah can i know you, you know what i'm gonna say <laughs> He obviously didn't go inside the submarine. They would have found him. They went all the way from Cairo to some other little, like, small, random Mediterranean island to go test the Ark. That's what they want to go do. They want to just check its power. Indy stayed outside the submarine the entire time. So either they kept the submarine, you know, atop and you know not submerged and so he just stayed there or indy has the greatest breath holding skills of any person of all time he is or he's part amphibian or something like it's just he can hold on to a goddamn submarine as it's going like you know full speed well that's superhero grip that that's been that's guaranteed you're an action hero if you have the grip strength to you know say like tom cruise holding on to an airplane while he's while it's flying (laughs) yes but i can give you the 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 historical answer and that would be they did not submerge okay uh, because at that time the nazis had pretty much supremacy in the waters in that area 
so they were able to just roll around unsubmerged because at, at that time they, they kind of owned it and that that's what i'm going after but yes, I, i'm gonna the that, <laughs> yeah it's the only thing that could make sense uh so i'll 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 give that one to you. <laughs> I'll give it to Indy. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but as they are taking, so they're taking and walking the Ark to like a, a separate place where they're going to do the the uh, entire testing, and Indy comes up with a, a fucking rocket launcher. A Panzerfaust. Yeah, Panzerfaust. Yes, a tank. I don't know what that. A tank killer. Yeah. Tank killer. Okay. Where did he get it? No idea. The backpack. We've already established this. He, yeah, exactly. Backpack or he <laughs> ran into another random tent or something. But he's basically telling him, hey, fuck y'all. I'm going to blow up the Ark if you keep going or some shit like that. But Belloc knows Indy better than that. He calls his bluff. And so they capture Indy and they all kind of go to this area. They have them tied to a pole together. And Belloc opens up the Ark. You know, at first it seems like it's just full of sand. Then eventually all these spirits emerge and it's just like, oh shit. Something cool's happening here. And then you get massive beams of like flaming light that shoots down into everybody, and you get the very, very iconic face melting scene where everybody's face melts melts off. I want to say the graphics in general are meh, you know, and it's fairly dated. Uh, the face melting, though, is definitely dated, and it's honestly hilarious now. <laughs> just watching the face melting, I can't help but laugh, but it is just fucking iconic. Well, what I thought was interesting was the face melting. That wasn't the thing that was going to give them the R rating. It was the head exploding. That was what yeah. was going to do it. So they just put extra <laughs> flames in there, and they're like, okay, it's fine. And, so, and that's 1981, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is awesome, though. I mean, you get... Those are the kind of like special effects that you'll see in like very kind of B horror movies, mm-hmm. but it's kind of fun to see it in something like Raiders, honestly. Uh, all right, all the Nazis are dead. Indiana really didn't have to do much. You know, he just kind of <laughs> kept his eyes closed. That's it. He just cl- kept. I don't know how. How did he know to keep his eyes closed? There was was there any hint that I missed? He had the giant book. He had the, the giant. <laughs> Just in case you're there when the arc opens, if you don't want to die, keep your eyes closed. Well, it would have been nice if Brody said something, <laughs> just so I, as a as someone, would have known. Or maybe in the book, the people who were carrying the arc were blindfolded. That would have made actual... Actually, that would have been fucking would have been perfect if they had that, but that, I don't think that's the case. But somehow, Indy just fucking knew to keep his eyes closed. I, that that bothered me. But I'm not going to ruin... I'm not going to ruin <laughs> not, Rangers nope, for you. No, you're not. <laughs> not... <laughs> Everyone is safe, and we see in a very, just one of the more iconic, I just keep using the word iconic because it is iconic, and uh, bigger ender shots of all time, the government has kind of hidden the Ark in this massive warehouse for safekeeping amongst all these other artifacts or big weapons, or I have no idea what's in those, um, but it's just kind of hidden for safekeeping. The Area 51 shot. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, I wonder, did, did this storming of Area 51 already happen? Am I way late on that? Oh, the Naruto run? Yes, it did. Oh, okay. Did anything happen? Uh, like, four people got arrested. Yeah, that was it. Oh. That lame. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I guess that's how much I kept in, in contact with that one. Alright, uh, let's talk our final thoughts on the episode I mean, Ken, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Do you want John, John to go you can, first? You can go first. It doesn't matter. Okay. All right. I'll go. I will go with me, then John, then you, because this was your movie, and we'd love to hear your thoughts to kind of close us out on this episode. Sounds good. This film is a great introduction to Indiana Jones. Uh, it's a very nice film, <laughs> uh, but I do think it's hurt a little bit by age. Specifically, I mentioned the character of Marion. 
I think she's a little bit more of a piece of meat than she should have been. Um, or at least, you know, if you kind of remade this now, uh, she had some moments and I think you're right. It was probably was Karen Allen who kind of did what she could with the character and try probably made her better than she originally was intended to be. But I would kind of prefer down the line or I, pre- I would prefer a stronger, more intelligent female. Uh, there was one interesting thing that I actually kind of read of a different breakdown of her over the course of this movie. Marion needs to be saved six times. She gets captured twice, and the rest of the time, uh, she managed to get herself into dangerous situations, which she needs someone else like Indy to, to save her. The film, which is only you know just under two hours, uh, and if we ignore the parts that she isn't on screen, which is about 45 minutes, that means she has to be rescued six times in 75 minutes, which is the rest of her screen time, which is roughly about one rescue in like every 11, 12 minutes. Like that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it to me just kind of shows she's uh she's kind of a weak character, but all that being said, and I do think that Indy is a kind of a creepy professor. I think, you know, he did something with her that he shouldn't have. And I also think that he's a terrible archeologist because you saw him destroy the big old statue of Anubis. You saw him just chuck, you know, other things that were thousands of years old as if they were nothing uh, and just thrown them aside for shit. Um, so he's not hes not <laughs> the best at what he does. But the film is an absolute, I don't want to call it a masterpiece because it's not a masterpiece, but it is a just perfect example of escapist, enjoyable film. Just turn your mind off and sit and enjoy something. And so that's why I appreciate this film. You know, it is a precursor to our superhero films. It's a precursor to something like Die Hard, um, you know, where you kind of get that mentality. And then, you know, it's, it makes a whole bunch of sense why a lot of us love comic books and we love comic book movies that we have nowadays because these all fit into that that whole thing, um, in my opinion. And so I'm, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. I'm going to call out the bullshit because there's bullshit. <laughs> but while I'm watching, I can suspend, suspend my disbelief and I can enjoy the film. All right, John? Um... I think you're overthinking it, <laughs> and I, I, just, I think it's just. I just uh, said. <laughs> let, let me let me say. I think it's you know it's the fun action adventure movie that it is. Um, it's my probably second favorite in the in the series of movies, um, just because I have a, a a much bigger affinity for Last Crusade, but that's just my personal taste. I think it's really fun, and and actually it had been a, a little while since I'd seen it, and uh, going back to watch it, I really had a lot of fun with it, and. I enjoyed it. All right, Ken, let us know. I mean, this was your pick. Let us know all your final thoughts of Raiders. <laughs> well, I and I agree with both of you. It is dated, and, and you can tell, especially by today's standards and, and some of the, the, the differences that they've made in character development. But that being said, I feel like it, it fell rel- right in the realm of, you know, inspired by, you know, serial, those mm-hmm. B-rated serial movies where, you know, the female character, the damsel in distress, had to be saved once every, you know, so often because that was just the way the movie was made and I feel like that there's there was a lot to it I've seen it hundreds of times in my lifetime you know I went and saw it on the big screen in IMAX uh, when they re-released it actually in Vegas before I left so getting to see this giant blockbustery movie that wasn't meant to be that I feel like you know this movie was made for a niche audience at that time uh, you know to kind of play on the nostalgia of those adults then you know who remember growing up with with the Flash Gordons and stuff. Yeah, like I said, it, it inspired me. I definitely wanted to be an archaeologist when I was a kid because of it, you know, and not just to, you know, 
sit in a professor's office and teach archaeology, but I wanted to be the you know the kid with the whip and the the hat, and that's <laughs> all that mattered, you know. So I remember you know utilizing my uh, extension cords to the greatest possible you know, use, and then growing up being able to buy a whip, and that didn't end well. But yeah, no Raiders still it's not my favorite of the series. It's definitely top in the in the top two because Temple was the first movie I ever saw, uh, and then I went to Raiders. So there's an affinity there, but I think that's more nostalgia based than anything. But uh, mm. no, yeah, I love this movie, and that's that's why I picked it. Uh, we appreciate that was a fantastic breakdown. We love how nostalgia can make a movie just honestly immune it can be like indiana's plot armor and be like i don't give a fuck how stupid this movie is i still love it um and not to say this movie is that stupid it's really not it is an enjoyable film that was a a great breakdown i appreciate it guys okay all right well now let's move on to something completely different (laughs) (laughs) monty python let's go to, to dexter's laboratory Dexter's Lab, this show ran from 1996 to 2003. There were four seasons total, but they didn't run concurrently. Uh, It originally ran from 96 to 98, and then it got picked up again from 2001 to 2003. Uh, It had a total of 78 episodes, and it also had a made-for-TV movie called Ego Trip that came out in 1999 that was originally meant to be a series finale, uh, but that was before... They got picked up again uh, for the second run. Aired on Cartoon Network. Um, but before we go into kind of more of that, what made you pick Dexter's Lab? Like, you know, what what about this show when you were a kid, you know, ha- holds it in such nostalgic value for you? Basically because I saw a lot of myself in, in Dexter's Lab. You know, I had, a, I had a, a sister that was very high strung and would like tend to come in and get into things, even though she was younger than I. Uh, she would mm-hmm. tend to screw up pretty much anything I was planning on doing. Uh, so I identified with Dexter uh, almost wholeheartedly. And then it just... The, the colors, the sounds, you know, the the small snippets that they would go through, you know, each each portion of the episode wasn't more than what I think it was like ten or eleven minutes long, but in those you you would you had a perfect build up and then pay off and then it would cut to something different so it was something it wasn't a i had to sit through and slog some episodes because you would just wait 10 minutes and then it would go into something different and you might be able to get into that if you weren't already invested so that's really why i went with dexter's lab uh that and every time i think of dexter i think of omelette du fromage uh, which is the only french i know and that's because of dexter's laboratory (laughs) (laughs) okay uh, I don't even know what that uh, that means. Something to do with cheese? A uh, cheese omelet? I was say something to do with cheese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> omelet du fromage. Okay. Omelet du. Okay, that makes sense. Omelet of cheese. Um, yeah. <laughs> what you mentioned, I think, is uh, is pretty interesting because there's a lot of other shows, and you'd brought up, you found us kind of through the the dynamic duel guys and our review of X Men, the animated series, and Batman, and particularly X Men. They had a bunch of episodes that ran into another, like their storylines ran a lot, but Dexter's Lab is the complete opposite where you're getting small little bits. You're getting sometimes even less than like the 11 minute episode or 11 minute segments in the shorts uh, where you would have like three or four of them yeah. in a show. And they were all just kind of small, quick, funny, just wham, bam. But um, they were all pretty interesting. This show was created by Jendi Tartakovsky. Uh, he also created Samurai Jack, which is another beloved Cartoon Network show. He was a producer on the Powerpuff Girls, and he was a writer, producer, and director on multiple Star Wars The Clone Wars episodes as well. 
Um, so he's pretty prolific. And also I thought it was pretty interesting when I was looking through the credits, Seth MacFarlane yeah. worked on the writing team for seven episodes of this show, which I thought was pretty cool. No freaking way. The original animation of Dexter's Lab was done by the Hanna-Barbera Studios, and they did a whole bunch of other Cartoon Network stuff. They did Johnny Bravo, I Am Weasel, Cow and Chicken, Courage the Cowardly Dog, and Powerpuff Girls. And uh, just to talk about the animation style, I appreciate the animation yeah. style rewatching it. I watched only uh, maybe two or three episodes. It's not great animation. It's not as strong as like you're going to get with a lot of Disney animation shows or even as super hyper stylized as like the noir and the art deco from Batman the Animated Series. But there was something to be said about the straight line angles that you would get with Dexter's Lab and just the the, way, the kind of the simple animation. But it was still a very strong and its, its own style that I thought worked really well. Yeah, I remember like the color saturations, you know, going from the dark mm-hmm. and the blues and the purples when you were in the lab. And then you would say, I watched an episode where, you know, Dexter has to go, in, go into Dee Dee's room, you know, and just the diametric difference in the in the color schemes. And like, that's the thing that made me like, oh, man, mm-hmm. I really remember this this popping on the screen. So this show starred Christine Cavanaugh as Dexter for the majority of Dexter's run. There was someone else who took over on the last season, um, but Christine Cavanaugh was the most. We have never operated at optimum efficiency. Computer, initiate standard scan for DD-like platforms. We've talked about her before in our review of Darkwing Duck. She was Gosselin in that. She also did... Um, a show that John and I haven't talked about, which I don't know why, because we absolutely fucking love it. She was Marty Sherman in The Critic. Mm-hmm. So she yeah. was uh, Jay Sherman's son. Uh, and she also, probably much more famously, she was in Our Real Monsters, and she was Chucky Finster in Rugrats. That was like Nickelodeon's biggest show for a long, long time. And she was uh, Babe in the movie Babe. And unfortunately, she passed away back in 2014, so about five years ago. Just It said from undisclosed reasons so no idea why but unfortunately she was only around like 50 years old Dee Dee the sister uh who you know annoying sister I also had a very annoying sister uh she was older than me (laughs) she was voiced by two different people the first was Allison Moore And Dexter's Lab is pretty much her only credits. Like anything from the Dexter's Lab stuff was the only thing that she really did. And then the voice of Dee Dee was taken over by Kat Crisida. So, this is my brother's secret laboratory. I like spending much time here. Ooh, and this is one of my favorite things. Uh, who has just done a ton of video game work, but nothing that I really picked out. Uh, other fantastic voice people of the main cast was Kath Suchi, uh, who was the mother. <gasps> Would you look at that? The very last pair. Must be my lucky day. Uh, we talked about her in our Captain Planet episode. She played. She did the voice of Linka. She's also pretty famously Phil and Lil Deville in Rugrats and Cubert Farnsworth in Futurama. Jeff Bennett did the voice of the dad. Looks good. All's clear. Let's see some action. And we actually just talked about him, uh, Mighty Ducks. He did the voice of Duke LaRange in Mighty Ducks. And uh, he was also, we also talked about him earlier in the show Gargoyles. He did Brooklyn. And then he was also Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo show. This is probably maybe his most famous role. Mm -hmm. And then 
This show had some absolutely amazing voice actors as the side characters. Eddie Deason, who we talked about on our show about Rockadoodle, uh, he did the voice of Mandark. Welcome to my laboratory! 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 As you can plainly see, Dexter, this facility accommodates every aspect of science known to man. Who is kind of the, you know, main uh, antithesis, not the antithesis, but he is the protagonist for An- um, antagonist. Dexter. What I say, protagonist. Yeah, you said protagonist. It's a certain point of view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. You know what? I think Mandark is should be the hero. Uh, anyway, yes, he was the antagonist to Dexter. Uh, Rob Paulson did the voice of Major Glory. Justice friends, assemble! Tom Kenny did the voice of Val Hallen. Looks like it's up to you and me. Yo, B, heed the power of my axe. Who we brought him up earlier, the guy who the second monkey roll in a row for us, uh, Frank Welker, did the voice of Dial M for Monkey, which is kind of like this superhero monkey character, which is pretty ridiculous. I think that's, and that was the funny thing. I watched a couple episodes with my kids, and uh, they're big Phineas and Ferb fans, and just mm-hmm. seeing like Dial M for Monkey, and then you could see that you know the, the neurons were firing of. Well, that must be, you know, some inspiration between Perry the Platypus. You know, you have mm. this you have this normal looking monkey and then he becomes, you know, secret agent monkey. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very interesting to see. Uh, I mean, those those side characters are all pretty fun. Um, I didn't end up I saw the monkey one. Uh, I didn't end up seeing any of them with Valhallen and Major Glory, but I remember once I saw their characters, I was like, "Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I remember them." They were just kind of like fun guy. I remember, I mean, the one guy was Valhallen. You know, he had long hair. He's like a rocker dude, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it, it's pretty fun. And the Major Glory was like this super, this very patriotic superhero guy. <laughs> Besides those already amazing voice actors, I'm just gonna call out some of other other people who uh, lent their voice to the show. Maurice Lamarche, D. Bradley Baker, who is uh, the platypus, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. funny. Uh, Brad Garrett, Jennifer. Hale, Kevin Michael Richardson, Jim Cummings, and then um, someone who we talked about in the show or in the the movie Sidekicks, John uh, Mako. Uh, uh-huh. He yeah. did the voice at the end that kind of appeared at the end of the show, kind of like warning you of uh, to go, you know, into Dexter's life. He's kind of like a, a narrator right. kind of voice in the show. Enter at your own peril, past the vaulted door, where impossible things may happen that the world never seen before. Yeah, that's what took me back. I was like, I recognize that voice. And then I mm-hmm. was just kind of perusing my, my Netflix queue. And then I saw Conan. I was like, ah, there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was him. I want to talk a little bit about the theme songs. And there were two. And the first one was the opening theme song. It's instrumental. Um, it's kind of quick. It honestly, the style reminded me of the uh, old Beetlejuice cartoon intro. I was going to say, it's it was very Tim Burton-esque. Yeah. Like, very quick 
pings. It was it's pretty awesome. I liked it. Yeah, it was. It was I'm kind of glad that they had two separate ones. It was kind of fun to just have a very quick one at the start, the start, and then at the end during the credits roll, they had an outro one that started off with the kind of a warning by Mako, and then we just get this big voiced singer, you know, almost opera singing us about Dexter. In Dexter's laboratory, lives the smartest boy you've ever seen, but Dini blows his experiments to smithereens. There is gloom and doom while things go boom in Dexter's lab. It's so cheesy, uh, but it's funny, and I think it really works, and it adds a lot of gravitas to, to the cartoon in in its own right yeah, there's a lot of grounding after some of the, like the couple of the episodes i saw kind of ended on a fantastical note mm-hmm. and, you know you say fantastical and it's a cartoon but you know and then you run into that and it kind of like oh you know, grounds you back into more of a realistic feel yeah as you mentioned the yeah, show's made up of uh multiple different shorts things didn't you know run into other episodes they were all very very random just like small little snippets you would get you know reoccurring characters but not reoccurring storylines between each episode or between each short it was a pretty basic kind of cartoon um i don't really have anything else to personally add because this is one i guess i'll just talk about my nostalgia of the show i did watch it some when I was younger, uh, it wasn't my main show. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm around the same age as you are. I'm, I'm 33, about to turn 34 later this year. It's a show I liked early on, but then I, I think I kind of moved past it and I got to more kind of more action shows after this one because I didn't I didn't watch I Am Weasel. I didn't watch Cow and Chicken. Um, it's like and Dexter's Lab came out, I think, like right before those. Yeah. And so I probably caught like a couple seasons or a season or one season. And then by the time those ones came out, I was kind of done with that style for the time being. And I kind of shifted to maybe I started watching like more more Fresh Prince or something or more Saved by the Bell or I don't know. Um, but or, or more actiony shows like you know, the Mighty Ducks cartoon, like I mentioned before, or other stuff like that, or more gargoyles or shit like that. So, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it's particularly interesting. John, what about you? Did you watch this show at all? Cause you were, well, probably not. You were 16 by the time this show came out or 15. Yeah. I will be honest. The first time I'd ever watched a full episode of this show was for this. <laughs> yeah. I was very much aware of it and had probably seen clips and and even kind of familiar with some of the characters just from you know pop culture references and and just sort of sort of seeing it out in the ethos but i'd never actually sat down to watch a, a whole episode before so it was okay you know it wasn't anything i found groundbreaking or would go back to but i don't i again i don't have the nostalgic uh, tie to it Mm-hmm. Can what else? I guess we. I mean, before we dive into our final thoughts, I, I kind of <laughs> just ran through because there's not like any main storylines to bring up, or, or is there anything else you want to bring up uh, about this show in general, or about anything specific? Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those. Uh, you you go back and watch it and go, yeah, I I remember really getting into this when I was younger. You know, just the you know I was a you know, science nerd, so everything kind of was you mm-hmm. know anything sciencey, you know follow Bill Nye the science guy and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then you know looking at back at it you know uh, the references from you know Big Bang Theory 
you know, having the side by sides mm. of the characters from Dexter's Lab with the Big Bang, that kind of brings the nostalgia back. But yeah, you know, I, I agree with with John. I went back and watched them. I I don't think I'll go back and and, and binge the entire series, but it was cool mm. to kind of bring that to the forefront. And with my kids, that they're they're heavily into the, the Phineas's and Verbs, and yeah. you know, some of those things. And, and it's it's good to see you know where these things came from. Uh, and honestly, it's pretty much kind of my final thoughts on it. Okay. Well, did you so? You watch these episodes with your kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not go back and binge it, but do you think it's something that you're going to try and, you know, push for your kids to watch more of? Oh yeah, most definitely. There were simpler time, you know. <laughs> you, you had a, you had a, you had the procedural uh, shows where you, you you go back and you're like, okay, so this is Darkwing Duck. This is what you know, mm-hmm. Daddy used to watch, and it was awesome. <laughs> you know, and then mm-hmm. you know, it, you try different things, and since their interests kind of lie in that realm, I think they'll actually go back and watch some, okay. just kind of depending on on where they're at. If for nothing else, just to kind of see the Dee Dees and and you know the the Man mm-hmm. Dark laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Which was great because I was able to bring Mandark, you know, back to the forefront of, hey, you remember Polar Express? You remember the kid with the glasses? Same kid. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Deason, I love Eddie Deason's voice, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, he's, I mean, he's obviously typecast, but he's oh, perfect yeah. in that stuff. John, what about you? Did you uh, force your children to watch Dexter's Lab at all? Actually, no, I didn't. You didn't? Okay. No. So, but do you, so after watching it, is it something that you think they might enjoy? Because they're right around that age, you know, where someone would probably care for it. Maybe my daughter. I think my son might be past it at this point. I'm, it's hard to say. Um, I probably won't push it on them. I mean, if they somehow discover it on their own, you know, it's like it's not it's not going to bother me. But I I'm I'm not going to push it on them. Completely opposed to Dexter's lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I could see I could see your son maybe liking the nerdiness. Your your son's a pretty big nerd. You know, he, I could see him maybe relating to Dexter a little bit. Maybe that's possible. You probably know him better than me. <laughs> I'd hope so. <laughs> I hope so. All right. Uh, and and my thoughts, uh, you know, very much. Uh, are similar to y'all's. Um, I, I enjoyed the show. It's fine to rewatch it, but it's definitely you know not one that captures my um, attention as an adult. I love the voice work. The voice work on the show, I think, is just absolutely outstanding, and that's a big standout for me. Uh, and I always do appreciate when I see kind of contentious brother sister relationships because <laughs> I had a very contentious brother sister relationship uh, with with my sister who's older. Uh, and so I think you can kind of like always find some relatable aspects to that. But yeah, overall, it's pretty solid. But you, we're not. None of us are going to go back and buy these DVDs or watch it. It sounds like. Oh, yeah. Well, anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? That show that none of us gave a shit about. We are going to recast it for uh, a live. I, I did live action. I don't know how y'all did. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So we. So we're going to recast five characters from. The, oh, sorry, John. This is John. This is what you run. <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... While you're up, would you get me a soft drink? You must choose. You choose wisely. Discover the great taste of Diet Coke. You have chosen wisely.
Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, now available on video cassette. Catch the adventure with a Diet Coke. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're going to be casting a live-action version of Dexter's Laboratory. Uh, since there's three of us, we kind of narrowed it down to about five characters, just so uh, wouldn't we wouldn't spend half the episode, you know, doing the casting. Uh, the characters we're going to do are Dexter, Dee Dee, Mom, Dad, and Mandark, just to get a little um, antagonism action going in there. I'm guessing we should probably start from the bottom and, and work our way up. I think so. That sounds good. Even though, historically, John and I have had poor jobs casting kids. <laughs> You do it, and you're just like, I don't, I don't. Neither of us really watch enough, you know, live action kids shows to know who's a good actor right now. And so, I, I definitely had a tough time casting this one because I was like, well, sure, you're a kid, you're, you you kind of look like what I'm thinking or what I want. And but I just, I don't ever feel as confident with my kid choices typically as I do with my adult choices. Uh, did y'all feel the same way doing this casting? I'm not gonna lie, I actually think I had more fun casting this than I did rewatching the show okay because <laughs> right. no, putting putting you know what i remember and trying to have that mindset of what voice and then put that with a person mm-hmm. uh i think i definitely had a lot more fun doing it that way okay cool uh all right well let's start uh with mandark adam why don't you uh start us off you gotta have somebody who can deal with comedy you know i'm having a kid someone who I tried to think, could I find someone who would be perfectly annoying voice, like that super nerdy voice that Mandark has? And I don't think I can get that. You know, I'm not going to assume I can get someone who can do exactly that. But I want to have a kid who would be good with some comedy. I don't know if he would be a good villain, but he's pretty good in the show Fresh Off the Boat. I went with Ian Chen as my Mandark. That's a good call. I actually haven't seen Fresh Off the Boat, but I do recognize him from Shaz- from the movie Shazam. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So Yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, all right, I'll go ahead and jump in with mine. I'm with uh, Adam. I had an extremely hard time casting the children, um, and actually Mandark was the last one I cast and had a fairly difficult time finding someone. But I found a strong actor who I know could do it. I hate to keep going back to the same kid actors, but my uh, well of knowledge and this is limited so mm-hmm. um, i actually went with the actor noah schnapp from stranger things <laughs> okay i went a little bit younger i think yours i think noah's probably 16 17 my kids are more like in the 11 range right. for the dexter and mandark but it's but i mean you could totally go either whatever route you want to do with them right make it more of a high school kind of thing but yeah immediately i mean i like noah schnapp I don't know what it can. What do you can? What are your thoughts on on Noah Shap? So I'm not. I'm one of those people who have not seen Stranger Things yet. Me too. It's one of those. Uh, I was looking up the cast, typical Google research of best top or you know top children yeah. actors, and <laughs> it was Stranger Things. So I was trying to like identify them with other pieces of work, and I think he looks the part. I think that would probably work. Uh, I know I went older just by a hair. Okay. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. eight years. Um, but that was based on, on voice more than anything. And I think he could still probably pull it off. So I, I aged up my cast a little bit and I, I feel like that's probably why I went the route I did, but yeah, I I think that'd be a decent cast too. Okay. Well, who did you go with for Mendark? So I went with, uh, the voice Atticus Schaefer from the middle. Oh yeah. Yeah. He does. He does tie that into voice. I feel like his, yeah, his voice would be very, very easily kind of moved in. And I think just looking at him versus the cartoon, I think it would be awesome going from, 
where they were with, you know, Mandark being the tall, lanky guy and then having Atticus Schaefer pop in, I think it, it, it would be great comedic against my Dexter and my DD. Okay. Even though he's 21, he still <laughs> looks very young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think that absolutely would work just fine. Yeah, I think that works perfect, actually. One thing I want to interject with, I guess, before we do other casting, just so you said, like, Immediately, I wanted to cast certain people for those roles because I think they because I they're the only like couple kid actors that I already know, mm-hmm. and so like I would have probably put someone like um like an Ian Armitage who plays young Sheldon right in as like a potentially a Dexter or a Mandark. I'm just just throwing that out there. <laughs> Same thing with like a Jacob Tremblay because like they're both they're good little actors, but I used I've already used them both like <laughs> at least once or twice, and so I don't I don't. I, I eventually I just be like, eh, I just look, I go to those Google lists. I'm just like, fuck it. You're a kid. I haven't used. You're probably fine. <laughs> so, Phrasing. Phrasing. Yeah. Bad touch. <laughs> you So, so even though I'm not having the cast that I particularly want, I still am happy enough with, with the cast I got. Okay. So, sorry. I just wanted to interject with that. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to the dad. I'll start us off with uh, with this one. This is probably the easiest one I cast. Like, I pretty much knew right away. Mm-hmm. I've watched the cartoon. I'm like, you know who this reminds me of? This guy. And I think it would work well. So my I for my dad, I went with Ed Helms. That's a good cast. Uh, it's such a good cast. I also went with Ed Helms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and it was the exact same thing as you. I only had it down. I had it down between Ed Helms and Ty Burrell. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just getting such an Ed Helms vibe from this dad. I've got to go Ed Helms. So I, I love that choice, John. All right. So I initially went with Brian Cranston, kind of going along the, the mm. lines of the dad from Malcolm in the Middle. I felt like that was a, an easy shift. But then I was really thinking about my Dexter and my Dee Dee, and I went with Chris Evans to kind of be really? that, that, that split. And I think it'd be kind of interesting to see him in that role, especially following Captain America. Yeah, he. I mean, he does a lot of good comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, he's fantastic in uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah. And I know he's got another like kind of comedic role coming up, but interesting that you just took the dad to a whole nother level. Yeah, like, he was always like that basic character that just kind of went in. And I felt like, especially nowadays, it'd be great to see such a, a star character actor like Chris Evans being kind of put to the side. Okay, dad, we'll see you later. And, you know, Chris Evans shows up and then Chris Evans leaves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think it's a yeah, different take on it, and it'd be fun. I think he would be funny. I, I mean, he's he's good as, as side comedic characters, so yeah. yeah, I'm cool with that. All right. All right, now for the mom. Ken, why don't you join, uh, start us off with this one? Okay, uh, for her, looking at the character design and then uh, also trying to figure out based on who I had for the dad and then looking at, like, okay, well, the son is definitely the science nerd. I tried to stay with somebody that's familiar with that. Uh, so I went with Tan- uh, Danielle Panabaker uh, from oh, The Flash. yeah. Uh, I thought she'd be a, an awesome, like, mom. Again, there, but not really there. Oh, I like Danielle Pennybaker, so... I have no qualms with that. I was actually lucky enough to meet she her at a con. Young. Yeah, she does look. Yeah, I did that too. Uh, I met her at a con once. You're, go- you're going with a young mother and an old, old other cast. They they all had their babies very young. <laughs> if I had to- in your in your movie, it happens. It happens. It happens. Yes, it does. Not to say it's a bad cast, but it's a bad cast. Uh, okay. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> all right. Well, what did you go with, Adam? 
Uh, I went with someone who I think can be that over-the-top kind of the voice, uh, who I think someone who could do the voice of the mother, you know, enough where she kind of jumps into that overly perky kind of housewife style. Very comedic actress. Uh, you, you, you've you used her before in a casting, and I can't remember what it was, but I remember I hated the casting that you chose, John, but I think she's perfect for this. <laughs> did you go with Taylor Swift? Uh, I, went, I did not go with Taylor Swift. I went with Elizabeth Banks. Oh, okay. For as, yeah. as, as the mother. I think she would be perfect. I can totally see her in that role. I wanted to hate your choice, but I don't. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, Ken, do you concede that I had the best mom as well? I'm not going to concede anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just going to say it wasn't a great cast, but it was a good cast. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're probably both going to hate my casting. So, for the mom, I actually went with somebody who I don't know if I've ever really seen her play a character like this, but I've seen her in interviews and she kind of is like this. She's very kind of, I don't want to use the word ditzy because ditzy is not the, the right term, but sort of just over the top and she laughs a lot and she kind of has that sort of same vibe that I got from the mother in the cartoon. I actually went with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Crickets over here. <laughs> but it's, like I said, I, I didn't pick her based on any role that I had seen her in. I picked her based on having heard her do interviews and talking to people and how she is naturally, not how her yeah. any of her characters are. Like I was, I didn't, I didn't watch Jurassic World and be like, "Mom from Dexter's Lab." Yeah, I see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just want to see her run in heels, though. That's that's yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> uh, she's. She's a good she's a good enough actress that I'm sure she could do it justice. Okay. How about that? All right. I'll take it. <laughs> I already had my one inspired casting with Ed Helm, so you're not going to get much more from me. Yeah. <laughs> you did it. John, that was absolutely perfect. Maybe the maybe the most perfect casting ever because I had that too. <laughs> All right, now our sort of our two main characters, if you will. Uh, let's go with Dee Dee. Adam, why don't you start us off on this one? So I kind of went back and forth on who I wanted. I, I almost wanted to go, and I, and I hope I don't steal your casting by saying this, but like Dee Dee was one of the first that I kind of thought of who to cast for. And the, kind of my first thought was maybe going with someone like Maddie Ziegler or Ziegler, however you pronounce it. She's a little actress who, she does a lot of dancing in like the Sia music videos and she was on that show Dance Moms, but I think she's kind of like trying to become a legit actor. But I was trying to go with like the whole ballerina thing and Maddie Ziegler is that. But I didn't, I wanted to go someone a little bit younger to kind of work well with my kind of young 11-ish year old Mandark and Dexter. Slightly older than that, but not too much older. So I went with someone who's about maybe 14 right now, Um, but she's an up and coming little actress. I think she does like Disney stuff I can't remember what the heck she does, but she's pretty good. And I think uh, I've seen her as she was um, the young Captain Marvel. You know, she was Brie Larson's little young girl in, or not girl, but she was like, I think the young version of her in Captain Marvel. And she was the young Tanya Harding in the movie I, Tanya. So I think she's got some acting chops. I think she could totally be annoying. If she can play like the white trash of I, Tanya, <laughs> she can play the annoying ballerina sister of Dee Dee. I went with McKenna Grace as my Dee Dee. I like it, Adam. You like it? Yeah. All right. Uh, she is a actress who exists, and that's as, that's as much as I got. Yeah, she is all of those things. I I've not seen any of the things that you mentioned, and I mean, I, you you saw Captain Marvel, didn't you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Captain Marvel. She played young Cap. She played the kid, you know, like the childhood Captain Marvel. Uh, yeah. I mean, granted, that's not like a big. Part. I was to say that it was, and it's not much to go on, but I'll I'll give you I'll give you that. I saw Captain Marvel. <laughs> Did you see The Haunting of Hill House? No. That was pretty popular. No, I'm not much of a horror, horror movie fan, so I don't watch any Designated of Designated Survivor, possibly? Nope. 
Literally nothing. Yeah, horror guy. Captain Marvel's it. That's <laughs> okay. the only one I know. Well, she's she's a big up and coming uh, little actress. How about how about Young and the Restless? She was in that for fifty episodes. Did you watch that? John? Well, I mean, that's that's impressive, but nah, I, still, I still got nothing. All right, fine. Fuck it. It's a great casting. Ken Ken agrees with me. Great casting. All right. Uh, all right, Ken. Why don't we go to you? So to continue on with my aged up cast, and actually, I really do like your cast, Adam, uh, for DD. Oh. If I were if I were to thank you, it would play well with my Dexter. However, I went with Bailey Madsen. Uh, she's about a year younger than my Mandark, and I really just kind of went with the uh, the lovesick puppy aspect mm. from Mandark, and I felt like she really hit it. She was uh, in The Good Witch. Uh, she's done a lot of like the Hallmark Christmas movies. I just thought she was very bubbly and would fit well. Yeah, I definitely recognize her looking at her. Can't remember what I've seen her in, but I've definitely seen her around and seen her in some stuff, so... Cool. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna trust you on that one. <laughs> and she's. She looks like she's been doing actress, actor, uh, acting for a while. Actressing. Actressing. Yes. It's a verb. <laughs> she's. So she's. She's been doing it for a while. So I'm sure she. She's got the chops. Yep. Yeah. It's. It's the same with me. She's a, another actress who exists. So I've never seen anything <laughs> she's in. But I mean, I. I was. I'm looking at her IMDb as right now, and she's going all the way back to 2006. So she's been in the business yeah. a while so obviously she's getting she's getting she worse like six or yeah, seven she's got she's getting work yeah. so she's she's good at it so really good choice for mine i don't know now you guys have me second guessing my choices <laughs> i i actually found the character of Dee, Dee to be a little creepy <laughs> yeah so i went with an actress who played uh, another character who was kind of creepy uh in the tv show the walking dead in season five she played the character of lizzie uh and that was the actress brighton charbino i think that was the season i bowed out on walking okay. dead so and that was the she was the little girl who ended up killing the other little girl oh that's right the look oh, at the flowers Oh yes i I did watch that. Yeah, she was. I honestly, I hated that fucking character. <laughs> like, oh my god, I just, I couldn't stand her in the. I mean, that was, yeah, that was about the last season I watched of Walking Dead, or maybe maybe it was the one right afterwards. But yeah, she was so fucking annoying. But she was creepy. Yeah, I mean, she's about seventeen now, but she still looks pretty young. And actually, most of my cast is sort of in the, it's early. The rest of the kids are sort of early teens anyway. So yeah, looking at her though, she has got the look of Dee Dee. Oh yeah, I think a lot. Like as she's gotten older, yeah. Okay. So that's pretty dead on if you're going with like yeah casting look all right i'll take that <laughs> yeah not gonna say you won that casting but i think you won that no. casting okay. <laughs> uh, okay i'll take it see there you go uh all right and now our main protagonist mr dexter himself which i i looked up apparently they're at no point in the series do they ever mention the family's last name and, and i think we just know the mom and the dad as mom and dad yeah and yeah not, like there's no yeah. anything to them all right uh i'm going to start us off i'm gonna let ken have last word on this one so mm-hmm I just kind of picked a kid I thought would work. I also didn't want to go with uh, somebody who I'd picked a bunch of times before. But uh, I found this kid who uh, has done a a good little bit of work. He's um, done several TV series. He was in the movie Wander, uh, also in the movie Parental Guidance. I went with a guy named or a kid named Kyle Bretkoff. Or bright cough. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Little ginger boy. Yeah, little ginger. <laughs> oh, you you really got the red hair in. <laughs> well, he's got the look. He's young. How old is that guy? I figured it out. I think he's. I think he's like 14 or 15 now. I mean, he's no. He's that's in a good. That's good. It's perfect age for your yeah, casting. The yeah. picture that's up there, I think, is a, is much older. Okay, I can see him having the look of it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything that he's in. Yeah, I haven't seen anything he's okay. in, but. 
Sure. Okay. That's as much. <laughs> that was much as I was going to hope for with this with that particular casting. Uh, all right, Adam. What did you get? So I was trying to go with someone who could you know play like the eleven year old, um, and so I went with an actor who plays people way younger than them, um, just like he did in the movie Spider Man. I went with Tobey Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, no, I honestly, I would have picked Ian Armitage or Jacob Tremblay, but I didn't because I've picked them before. Um, so I just kind of looked around for different people. This actor, I actually went with two actors for my Dexter uh, because they're twins. And then that way filming can go a little <laughs> bit faster because I care about production time, you know, and, and this movie needs to be able to move as much as it can for the crew. That's important. I went with Nicholas and Cameron Crovetti. Uh, they are around 11 years old now and they are in the show Big Little Lies. And I think, you know, they're blonde, but they could totally do the red hair if you wanted to decent little actors um, in that show and so I think they would work just fine and I think the idea of them being twins works perfectly for um, the industry actually works so how about that (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah I've not seen that show but yeah I could see it okay all right yeah I mean I'm just gonna have to go with you on this Adam because I don't (laughs) I don't know never seen that show don't recognize the kids yeah well I mean they're not like big parts in that show or anything but they they look like kids. <laughs> they look like kids. And so and that's you know, the important it's thing. Time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. All right, Ken, take us home. All right. Well, I am not hampered by the uh, issues that you two have of <laughs> overcasting someone. So I was had a uh, I had a blank slate to pick from, and honestly, I kept going back to this person because it it's the only one that seemed to fit for me, and that is Ian Armitage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone could fit that role any better. I'm afraid he'd get typecasted, but that's the great thing about this is I don't care about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, and, yeah, like I said, I, I feel like with, with my cast and the way it's set up, uh, I think he'd be a perfect Dexter. I agree. He probably probably the best choice, honestly. That is exactly. That's probably the best choice of the entire cast list that we've got, other than Ed Helms that John <laughs> did, or, um, or anyone else that I chose. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Ian Armitage actually that is that is on the money um and it would be it would it would be my first choice and it was the first person that came to my mind as well so that's a great great pick yeah all right ken do you have anything you want to promote or anything before we kind of wrap it up here uh nothing to promote this has been awesome guys really appreciate it i i continue to enjoy the show and uh hopefully all of this gets uh gets going and uh we can continue doing this kind of stuff uh I think you guys could continue with the Patreon piece. I feel like it's going to inject some new blood. And uh, I may not be the greatest start for you guys, but uh, hopefully it inspires others to do so. We love it either way. We love it. (laughs) Honestly, you... I love that you came in and you did your prep. You know, you you actually did some like research uh, and really, um, you know, I, I appreciate you know what you brought to this episode, Ken. So you you absolutely killed it. We really had a I had a fantastic time. I did too uh, with you yeah, same on here. the episode. All right, and that was our casting of Dexter's Laboratory. Please join us next time for another Top 10 episode. John and Adam go over their Top 10 favorite nostalgic board games. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and we will see you there. Yeah, bring your proton pack and your ecto cooler. And maybe some McNugget Buddies.